All right, everybody. So today we have Dr. Mike Isretel and Steve Hall with us today. Hello, guys. All good. I think both of us are dieting, so uh, Mike's at the tail end of a pretty aggressive diet, so I think I'm probably better than Mike at the moment. All right. Yeah, <laughs> no. I'm, you know what's funny? I'm, uh, I went to um, India for uh, a seminar, and in order to not get malaria, you have to take some medicine, and I'm taking a medicine. You have to take it for a while after because the parasite can still like be in your body. So for the like the month after India, which I got back on December fifth, so for, until January fifth, I have to take antibiotics, and they make my appetite so reduced that I'm like, look at how many calories I actually have to eat for the mini cut, and some days I don't even meet that. So I can't really say I'm struggling because I'm just I'm not hungry. Um, <laughs> I'm not super energetic, but it's it's trippy, man. The, the antibiotics just smashed my appetite. I was like, holy crap! And it, First couple of days you feel fine, and then after five days of taking it, your body's like, "Nah, we don't. We're getting poisoned, as far as I can tell. We don't need any more food." So, you know, what's your weight down to? I, um, <laughs> I'm down twenty-one pounds in three weeks. Oh wow! But that doesn't mean anything because half of it is body water. Sure. Yeah. So, um. When you're bigger, uh, uh, you know, and you do a lot of massing and cutting, and you uh, like really wildly swing your carbs, um, you can lose and gain so much weight that it doesn't mean anything at all. So I like I hate putting my weight on Instagram because I'll be like, you know, it was a mini cut two twenty nine today, and people will be like, you were two fifty three weeks ago, and I was like, yes, I was, yeah. And they're like, how do you? What do you? Isn't that too fast? I'm like, no, it's not. It's body water. And they're like, how's it body water? And I'm like. You know, really, is the first time like figuring out body water changes on a diet? Like, fuck. Like, I thought everyone kind of knew that. I thought like regular people, office workers that I used to work with when uh, you know they were dieting, they're like, I lost five pounds. I'm like, that's probably body water. Like, yeah, I know, (laughs) but some still a mystery. So um, that actually ties into uh, the first thing I was going to talk about. But before that, I just have to ask Mike. It's going around the internet. Why are you so mean, man? What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah well uh i can actually answer that seriously if you like <laughs> yeah sure go and provide a little background there because i don't think you've talked about this one i mean it just happened so if, if you want to yeah. kind of explain briefly so a gentleman named greg Doucette, who i used to have a profound amount of respect for actually um he's a very successful bodybuilder and powerlifter um he actually knows a lot of stuff it turns out um he has a youtube channel and he uh sort of um, critique the volume landmarks idea and uh, Jeff Nippard's application of it and uh, f- a fellow YouTuber um, the lifting dermatologist uh, Steve DeVos asked me to come on and um, sort of do a response to Greg's videos. He, he messaged Greg too but Greg said he didn't have time for it um, later messaging me and saying that it's not that he didn't have time it's that he didn't have uh, any interest in going on a podcast with so few views so he wants to, he does YouTube to make money which makes sense um, and, uh, very few views make very little money, and uh, so I did the response video by myself, and I uh, checked that out. It's on Lifting Your Retologist channel. It's you know very cordial, super respectful, it was very genuine because I do have a ton of respect. Um, and then um, uh, Greg Doucette made a response video to that where he just mostly made fun of me and said things that don't make any sense. Um, so I figured I'd make fun of him back, but to his face because I don't need a YouTube channel to do that shit by myself. Uh, so my purpose for the debate was to make fun of him to his face um, and uh, shit on him intellectually, which if, 
If you know uh, some about sports science, you realize that he sort of just fell into a ton of his own bear traps through that debate, and it was a fucking mm-hmm. disaster. If I was him and I had a debate like that, I would re-examine a whole lot of what I thought I knew intellectually. Um, when you can justify approximately zero of the things you do with even your own logic, um, tough, tough sell. Um, so it was the debate that I did with him was from bad blood. Uh, not proud of it. Not my best moment. Uh, not much was accomplished other than entertainment for my... So there's a lot of entertainment for his fans, because his fans yeah. like uh, confrontation, I think, and I think his fans are relishing and hating me, which is fun. You know, I, I like that. It's interesting being the heel, you know. Right. Um, and uh, my fans love it because, they, you know, they like that when I get super smarty-smarty and, and, you know, own people or whatever the kids call it nowadays. Was <laughs> should like, wrecked. Right. <laughs> right? Uh, so I'm trying to be a millennial. Um, but, uh, you know, but as far as, like, an, a valuable exchange of information, uh, that didn't occur um, for the most part. Unfortunately, but I don't think he was interested in that sort of thing. If he was, he wouldn't have made a diss video in response to my uh, um, right. very cordial assessment. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and then, uh, you know, then uh, that's what it was. And so his fans got uh, very upset, even though he makes fun of people all the time on his YouTube. They don't seem to get upset about that. But when he gets made fun of to his face, they, they find that really upsetting. Uh, which is cool. I think his fans are, you know, they're they're fun people. Like they're just trying to get entertained and learn a little bit. And they like right. Greg, so they were like, "Why the fuck are you fucking with him?" But I think it's all it's all good, man. Like you know, you you dish it out, you take it. Sometimes you take it straight right. up. <laughs> so if I'm the bad guy, that's cool. Um, you know, genuinely, I, I'm not really a bad guy. I don't think because if I was, I'd have a really shitty track record of being one. Uh, <laughs> debated a ton of people, specifically on Steve's channel, and uh, yeah. all the debates were as cordial as you can get, right? And Tons of learning occurred, and uh, so so I think you know it's, it's a fun thing that happened, and it is what it is, and you know uh, I I do I do enjoy the attention uh, a little bit from from fans of his that message me and say you know you you really uh, you're really wrong about all this stuff, and so I say you know can you explain to me how I'm wrong, and and they try and mostly just stop responding after a while because I just ask a few questions, yeah. like, how does the ten percent rule work, and they try to explain it, and I'm like well that doesn't actually regulate volume, it just regulates exercise volume and they're like uh oh, yeah and then they say something like you know he's just trying to do his best and i agree maybe uh <laughs> but it uh, doesn't mean things that he says make a whole lot of sense sometimes and when things you don't you know you say things that don't make sense prepare to be called out on them especially if you are part of the call out culture on youtube like he does call right, out videos right. he's called out to his face shit happens like he'll be fine you know he's he's actually a super cool guy in the sense that I, i'm pretty sure he can take anything on the chin and be like nah, <laughs> just moves yeah, on right. so yeah, to yeah. his uh, to his credit. So there you go. So I um I I just had to ask. So I haven't. I'm not like I haven't seen the whole uh, interview. I saw probably half of it. Um, and then I saw your post on it. To be honest, I wasn't super familiar with Greg at all until the last maybe like month, like very recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it's funny somebody said he's just trying to do his best because I would agree with you that that's not necessarily a reason that somebody's right. My understanding with a ten percent rule. Um, and again, I, I'm not completely informed on it, is that he's saying to, once you have like 10% drop off in performance, you're done with that exercise. Was that right? Similar. So you, let's say you're deadlifting and you do um, 500 pounds for 10 reps to failure, right? And then you, your next set, you drop by 10%. So you do 450 pounds and you would do that also to failure. And let's say you get 12 reps on that set. You do another set. 
until and unless your set at that lower weight drops below the initial reps that you got on the first big set, so below mm-hmm. 10. So let's say on the third set, total, second set of 450, you drop to nine reps. Then the rule would say it's time to switch exercises. So gotcha. that, that's the 10% rule. Right, and then I guess the counter-argument there is that if you go on to your next exercise, you're now more fatigued for that exercise, right? So why did you even, you know, if you did four sets for barbell rows, by his method, you would have had to have switched earlier, right? You could have had a fatigue drop, but you're more fatigued for the next exercise anyway, right? Well, so. I don't, uh, I don't even know if it's about fatigue. I don't think, I don't think this argument requires a counter argument. I think it requires a series of uh, questions, simple ones, such as why 10%, which was never answered and was probably unanswerable. Another one is why are we moving on after 10%? What is wrong with bent rows after there's an intensity drop? Why are they not sufficient? Right, right. You could say, right. well, it's neural fatigue and such and so forth, but in, in doing a new exercise does not solve almost any of those problems. So you're still just as fatigued, now you're doing a new exercise. So as far as a rule that, that codes for switch exercise, if this happens, the rule doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it's based not on anything realistically that happens in your body. And then fundamentally, the big critique against it is because that was his proposal for a volume regulator. You know, mine is like, so three to 12 sets per session based on how you're performing in sore and pumps. So that's my volume regulator. It's a bit more complex, just just a tiny bit. Uh, And his was the 10% rule, which is not a volume regulator. It's an exercise regulator. So one of the things we went over in the the podcast was, he's like, okay, so then 10%, then you, you fail at a rep range lower than that, and then you do... Like, you leave the gym, and he's like, yep, you're done. And I'm like, or another exercise. He's like, yeah, or another exercise. Like, which one is it? Like, you can't be both. (laughs) So how are you determining how many exercises you're doing? That requires two rules, which he never specified. And he sort of said, like, oh, like soreness or something. But he usually, when he presents the 10% rule, as he presented in the video, it was a standalone rule supposed to encapsulate some kind of uh, behavior that you're supposed to do in order to try to select how much volume you're doing. And unfortunately, it just doesn't do that. Uh, And if it did do that, it would do it arbitrarily. Um... It's got some cool features to it, like it does auto-regulate pretty well to fiber type. So, for example, individuals that are very, very fast twitch, they need less training than slower twitch individuals. They have less volume tolerance. They need less anabolic signaling. They get more out of every single rep and set. So if you're really, really fast twitch, your reps drop off really quick. So you might do two or three sets, and then you drop off, and then you'd be done. And if you're slower twitch, you might do five or six, and it would be appropriate, right? But the question is, so that's cool, right? It's also objective. Like, as soon as you're dropped off below reps, it's cool. I like the rule. Unfortunately, the, the question of why 10% and do you leave the gym after are unanswered and maybe unanswerable. So, um, you know, I, 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 I said that so I sort of did a podcast to sort of poke fun at him, but I poke fun at him by knowing that what he was saying makes no fucking sense. If it did, I would never like. So, for example, the podcast opens with us talking about training to failure and how we define it. We defined it identically. And I was respectful and agreed. I think he was right. If everything he said in a podcast made sense, I would be like, hey, like. This is fucking cool. You're, you know, you make a lot of sense. I like it. But unfortunately, yeah, he says things right. that don't make any fucking sense, but he yells at them. And then when he's not yelling them, like on the podcast, they just don't make any sense. And we can ask questions about why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Like I could have played the argument to convince uh, sort of sequence, which I usually do, and been super, you know, very conciliatory, very cordial. And uh, sort of when he said things that are clearly wrong, you just don't say anything back. You're like, okay, I got you. I see where you're coming from, which is cool. You know, there's no reason to punk people out, but. He punked me out first in his own video, and then I punked him out face to face. Like, you want a shot at the yeah. intellectual title? You know what I'm saying? All day. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I don't want to focus in too much on that whole thing. Obviously, sure. I have other questions for you guys. But before moving on, um, Steve, any brief thoughts you want to give? I'm, I'm sure you listened to it. You just had any other thoughts that Mike hasn't already gone over? It was for anyone who hasn't watched the whole thing. If you just watched the beginning, it was really interesting for me because I thought he, I was like, 
that doesn't sound like anything Greg was saying and actually sound very much like in line with what Mike might recommend his first like few kind of words on training. Mm -hmm. And then as the interview progressed, it got worse and worse towards the end where he said, we don't really know anything. He's just like, yeah, I, you, you say I stuff, Mike, point. but we don't really know anything, do we? Like science hasn't told us anything. It's like, well, <laughs> Mike's face was a picture <laughs> when he said that. It was just like, wow, you just said that. We don't know anything. Okay. Why are we talking at all? <laughs> Why are you giving advice if we don't know anything? You could be giving any yeah, other advice. Yeah. You'd be making random sounds. And I yeah, just think, yeah. I was just going to say, I think it's unfortunate that people took it the way they did. And I think my kind of feeling was that we lose rationality sometimes as humans and we kind of just cater towards a personality within these sort of scenarios and don't actually take what they're saying. And it's just like, oh, that guy seems nice. Why is this other guy being so mean to him? It's like, because he's an idiot and he's giving bad information. It's like, <laughs> well, it's also because he's yeah. like, you know, I would, and I would never pick on someone because they were an idiot or just giving bad info. He's a mean person. His entire YouTube channel is based on calling out people and being mean to them and ridiculing them. And then when he comes on the podcast, he's Mr. Nice Guy. And his fans, they, you know, they'll cut him all the slack in the world, but people who don't know who he is and come to the conversation and watch it, they'll be like, yeah, I mean, like, the Mike guy is right about stuff sometimes, but he's super fucking asshole. Like, what a, what a dick. Uh, if they didn't watch the other three videos, that's a very, very rational conclusion. If they watch the other three videos, they'd be like, eh, yeah, it's all fair and love and war. Um, and not, not my proudest moment, but uh, it, it was not, not fun. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. Well, I'll have to go back and watch the... Uh... The, like primer videos for it, so I have a better reference. Also, Steve, that that beard is coming in very nice, man. Very thick. Yeah, I kind of got. I sh I was shaving it all off, and then I just got lazy. And I think I'm going to continue that because I'm cutting now. So right, laziness just ensues. <laughs> Hide the sunken cheeks and everything. Yeah, not yet. I'm still uh, like a bit of a hamster at the moment. So that'll be <laughs> next year. This time, oh, no, this time next year, I should have be all done. But next year, like uh, June, August time. September, yeah. that's when, yeah, the sunken face. And I'm not going to shave my head again, though. That's not happening. Yeah. I'm sorry, Mike. It's not a look I can pull off. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> it's convenient, though. I loved it so, from that aspect. And true. the feeling, it was quite nice, especially in the gym when you just so like, nice. sweat out. Yeah, you don't have out. a bunch of hair and you're, ugh. Yeah, I hate having a ton of hair. So that actually ties in into one of the, like, the first things I wanted to ask you about was whether you're, I mean, obviously for people who are enhanced, this is going to be even more of a factor, but something that people will say is that one of the most unhealthy aspects of being enhanced is how heavy you get, right? It's not just the anabolics, it's that you're 280 pounds, right? It's just the weight itself. But even from a, a natural standpoint, you know, weight could still be put on and you could still have those issues. And I think, Mike, that you've mentioned, you're, you're talking about like, you know, the health issues with bulking up. And I think, think you said like for you, Anything over, I don't remember the exact number, maybe it was 170 or something for your height. Anything over that is starting to get more and more unhealthy. Um, and I think that's something that's actually pretty rarely talked about for naturals. Nobody's, at least, you know, when I was first learning about this stuff, nobody was really saying, hey, like, don't bulk up too much. Like, other than, I mean, they talk about general health, but not the weight itself. Um, so can you guys just maybe touch on getting over a certain limit? It was not obesity, but just, just weight. There are some health ramifications there. So, um, for enhanced people, there's the double whammy of taking drugs that hurt your body and also making your body bigger, which is really bad for you. But for naturals, getting bigger beyond what an, just a normal healthy person is, 
absolutely is a cost to all of your systems and reduces your longevity. The thing is, it doesn't impact your health in any really major way in an acute sense. You're not going to like die tomorrow. But mm-hmm. having been 200 pounds for years in the middle of your life is going to shorten your lifespan versus having been 150 pounds for years. Sorry, Steve. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's one of those things where for naturals, it's not nearly as big of a deal. But getting bigger and heavier is not, um, does not promote longevity. And you can keep your health in order, but it definitely re- reduces longevity. And if you get really big and really heavy, the health toll starts to be more obvious. And I think both naturals and enhanced people should look at blood work relatively, for, you know, naturals once a year, enhanced people two to three times a year. Uh, look at blood work and, and uh, blood pressure is a huge one to keep an eye on because high chronic high blood pressure will kill you. Um, and uh, yeah, like, you know, anything beyond, you can look up sort of reference weight and height tables that are average. And we actually, in the Understanding Healthy Eating book um, from RP, we have a whole table of what, you know, the healthy range is. And we intentionally use the more expanded uh, understanding because, you know, you used to think like it was just this body weight and anything other than that was bad. But there's actually a very wide margin. But if you're outside that wide margin, like, you know, for somebody Steve's height, like anything north of 180, like if, if Steve came to the doctor and he was 180 pounds, and the doctor was like, what are you going to do with your weight? And Steve was like, yeah, I'm going to go up to 190. And he'd be like, is that healthy? And the doctor was like, you know, it's not unhealthy, but it's not probably the best thing to do. And then Steve was like, well, why don't we go up to 200? And the doctor's like, you know, like, again, less healthy. And if it's 210, 220, 230, less and less and less. And uh, body weight, ex- excessive body weight case kills way more people than, than drugs do every year uh, by a long shot. Um, and a lot of people who take performance enhancing drugs and never get really big, like athlete athletes, uh, as opposed mm-hmm. to bodybuilders, they face very few health consequences. The, the biggest thing that kills you in bodybuilding is using a ton of drugs to get really, really huge. That combination is not great because a lot of, a lot of blood pressure issues and stuff like that. Steve, Steve, uh, what do you think about all that? No, I mean, uh, I can't speak to it as well as you have, uh, you have or can, I don't, it was only until I asked you the question because it was very interesting to me because I think a lot of people are under the assumption that if they bodybuild and building muscle and they hear that as being healthy and it's like well everything kind of to a point so just like having like omega threes or having kind of some avocado with your meal it could be healthy to a point or water is healthy to a point everything kind of has sure. that dose where if you go over that limit and it wasn't until you spelled it out within the podcast where we chatted about it, it was like ah okay that makes a lot of sense and i know having spoken to broderick about kind of like steroids and what might be the kind of some of the kind of bad effects from those. And he spoke about just the, bo- the body weight going up. That's one of the biggest kind of health issues that come with steroids. And so I found that really interesting. And I guess my perspective on it is people who weightlift and do the kind of bodybuilding thing generally have lots of healthy habits involved with that kind of behavior that may counterbalance quite a bit of it. And an element of YOLO, like <laughs> in that <laughs> you don't want to kind of just restrict yourself to be the healthiest person ever and live another, I don't know how many years it would be, five years sounds like a lot to me that it might be, it might be five years. Uh, Mike, you probably know better than me, but I think I'd probably prefer to live a life that I really enjoy and do a kind of sport that I love and get those like, and not worry about the, the five years or whatever it could be that get chopped off. But that's kind of my perspective on it. But yeah, it was it's very interesting, I think. Yeah, because Steve, I mean, the last time we talked and you were kind of somebody I thought about with this question is, I think in general, I mean, if you are somebody who is, you know, not exercising, you have a horrible diet, 
and then you switch over and now you're consistently exercising, you're eating, you know, fruits, vegetables, you have a generally healthy lifestyle, you are going to, I think, have a net benefit, you know, from bodybuilding, um, you know, assuming natural or, you know, maybe moderately enhanced, obviously you can get in a lot of details there. But so I think the net benefit is positive. I think you're still focusing on health, but there's obviously a point where you, you can push it too far and arguably like you said, I mean, the most healthy could be to stay maybe at your height, you know, maybe 170, 175 and, and you know, restrict calories. You know, there's some studies showing that. Um, but ultimately, like you said, I mean, how much is that extending? I, I would be surprised if we had any concrete data on, on how much that's going to change. Um, but I do think it's interesting to think about because a lot of us have this goal of just getting bigger and bigger. And you kind of don't think about some of the consequences and i think you even had some more acute consequences maybe not from your weight specifically but from forcing the calories higher right yeah i had uh, i was actually going to say this about mike in terms of the antibiotics he was on but at least the first week of dieting was very easy for me because i was still having some of the nausea symptoms that i was having from peak mass and i don't know what it is i mean it's completely gone now i'm kind of i'm getting hungry food tastes good again i'm enjoying just like boring food which is it's crazy how quickly that actually just happens which is why i guess mini cutting is so great when you're like massing it's just like boom it puts you back into a state where you can just start eating again uh but yeah i I don't know what the the actual issue was that i was suffering from but having spoken to i had a consultation with gabrielle fondero and i think after two weeks and kind of the changes i've made to my diet and the fact that a lot of my issues have kind of dropped off she may have kind of found what my problem was and I'd be interested to actually hear what you guys both think to this but uh, essentially my diet was moving more and more towards like a westernized diet it was becoming more like extreme if it fits your macros obviously I'm not like an idiot so I was still making sure to kind of get my like I was eat having fruit juice instead of probably whole fruit so I was having kind of three to four portions of veg a day but a lot of my kind of calories were coming from liquids uh, lots of kind of chocolate milk weight gainers, these sort of things. And uh, my fiber was maybe at 30 grams and carbs were coming up to 700 grams. And it was kind of a combination of all those factors. Gabrielle thinks my gut flora might have been off, which was leading to like, kind of the nauseous feelings and uh, the bloating. And also uh, I was having serious mass, but I was consuming yeah. that with, I think it has like a huge amount of it's like 200 grams of carbs or something within a serving which i was having every morning for breakfast and i was having it with like 700 mils of water and uh, that makes it's not actually that thick even as a shake but that's a in terms gabrielle was talking about the kind of uh, the concentration of carbohydrate to fluid and what that she thinks was doing i drink it down in maybe half an hour and it draw a load of fluid into my gut making me very bloated and potentially nauseous and then she talked about kind of potentially lactose intolerance because my milk intake and kind of uh, cal- uh, calcium dairy intake, sorry, was getting very high. So it's hard to say that it was definitely all those things, but because I brought calories down, so that's obviously going to help alleviate kind of a few of the symptoms. But it may well have just been the fact I was pushing food for so long. I then took a kind of not the cop out approach, but I let my whole food intake come down. And then it was kind of a, a self reinforcing action of I was getting more nauseous, feeling more bloated. So I was going towards more of these foods and they were causing more of the issue. And it just so for me, I'm I've never had a client experience this. And uh, it was a great lesson. And I'm glad I've gone through it because it was horrible. And I, it was actually harder than like some of cutting, like cutting gets hard. But this force feeding when you're feeling like you're going to be sick 
just was horrendous. So I'm glad yeah. that I'm cutting and it seems to have been solved. And maybe I don't need the endoscopy because uh, <laughs> that doesn't sound yeah. fun. <laughs> well, Mike might disagree with me here, but if you really want to like restart your microbiome, you can try some bulletproof coffee and some perennium tanning. I've heard that works very well. Ginger, zinc, you know, earth metals really bring you into alignment spiritually, but also the spirit is sort super tied to the gut because that's where the spirit's centered. If I remember Marcos Rodriguez, he's uh, he's my spirit guide. He he knows this kind of stuff. You could have him on the podcast. Um, the gut but, actually has a lot of spirit receptors. I've heard it's a whole it's a whole complex system, and it's uh, nonlinear logic too. So it's really tough to understand. But uh, Steve, for what it's worth, man, you know, I think Gabby's probably right about the mechanisms of how that happened. But the fundamental cause is just eating a lot of food and stuffing yourself. Like what you, in retrospect, like you, you reached out to me and you asked what's going on. And I was sort of like, I think I overcomplicated what I thought was going on with you in my head. And I was like, gee, I don't know. Like, I don't want to tell this guy everything's fine and him, like, have some kind of fucking stomach cancer or some shit. So I was like, <laughs> I did get you my know, blood shit work happens, done. Right? That's good. And your blood work came back good, yeah. right? So um, that nausea and stuff, that's something my training partner, Charlie, and I experience every time we push our body weight on massing. Like, Charlie has been to the point where he has a fun story. You should have him on the podcast. He'll tell his fun story of how he was hospitalized for gaining uh, well, too much, too fast. Yeah, bro, uh, I brought this up. Yeah, yeah. So you can overwhelm really? your physiology. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil it, but um, okay. it turns out your body can lead so much food until parts of it break. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Korean willpower, man. You just tell, <laughs> tell him do this, and he just does it. <laughs> That's it. And fuck the body. So, uh, <laughs> um, what's it called? Uh, basically, um, you uh, when you're pushing so far against your body's homeostatic state, you will have consequences. And if you eat a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton, like nausea is just taken for granted. I don't like to admit this, but when I was going up last summer to not this past summer, but the one before that to 265, which is a very big high for me, like a sort of recent high, um, I was consuming one solid food meal per day and everything else was liquid because I couldn't fucking eat anymore. Yeah. Like, the idea of food was awful. People, you know, my wife would be like, what, are you doing a cheat meal tonight? I'd be like, yes. Like, what do you want? I'm like, I don't want anything. I don't want any food. If nobody ever shows up, that'd be for the best. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's super crazy, but, like, you can't, you know, the nausea is just part of the battle. And I think, like, Steve, uh, you know, you have never gained up to this high body weight before. I gained to 230 drug-free when I was in, in university when I was 20, 20, 21 years old. And that was the hardest mass I have ever had. To this day, and I went to 270 drug-free eventually, but that wasn't as hard. So going to 230 for the first time was such a shock that I, I remember, like, I was out of breath doing anything and everything. Um, I hated food. I could, I was stuffing myself like it was, it was just pain. And something my training partner, Charlie, said uh, that was really uh, quite brilliant, you know, dieting is hard, but the default mode of dieting is if you just do nothing, it, you're going to succeed. It's the actively trying to keep yourself from doing things like putting things in your mouth that are not supposed to be there. Fundamentally, that's at some philosophical level, by definition, easier than having to do something, which is put food in your mouth. Like if you can't put any more food in your mouth and you just start throwing up, 
that's sort of like an intractable problem. It just that's yeah. it. You're done. But with dieting, it's like you cannot eat. You know, figure out something in your life, and you're starving and hungry. But if you just just don't do anything, you're winning, right? But amassing, if you don't do anything, you're losing. You're going against the clock. So it's it's part. It's part. Uh, Steve, I'm so, so glad, so to speak, like you said, that you've had this experience because it is a real thing. Pushing mass, uh, your mass, way way higher than it's ever been. Did you, Mike, yeah. just out of interest, sorry to start interviewing nah, Mike now, but uh, did you get any fatigue <laughs> along with that? Revive Stronger podcast. <laughs> um, did I get any fatigue? I felt, um, so I, I would, my, my limit, my threshold for throwing up in the gym was so small that I would do two sets of leg press and just begin to throw up. And it was just so par for the course. Um, I was uh, of higher body weight, higher body fat, and so my endurance was total shit. Um, day to day, I you know moving around is tougher. Like I feel mentally, I didn't feel fatigued. I felt okay, but then moving up and down was like really sucked. And in jujitsu, I had a several like I had a probably a month and a half period where I would dry heave after multiple rolls during the sessions, like. I would just, I would tap, like somebody would be on top of me, not applying a submission, I would tap, and they were like, what the hell? And I would turn over and start throwing up. Um, oh. So it was, yeah, it was, yeah, the fatigue was a real thing. Um, mm. Not like, you know when you're sick, even if you're sitting down, you feel like, ugh. It wasn't that. But it was when I did anything, it was that. So, yeah, uh -huh. it sucks. Yeah, I think the highest, I mean, I've, I've gone up to 220, and I mean, I've always had a pretty big appetite so it wasn't horrible there were actually the hardest was when i was for the sake of experimenting with keto and i was actually bulking up with that type of diet just to you kind of wait, you know, stop things pause pause yeah forget about steve <laughs> and i you're on the fucking podcast interviewing yourself now can you please tell us to tell the world about your keto bulk you know first of all really quick this is really rare almost no one ever tries oh, yeah. this tell us oh, no i want I've the details it three times now in high school high school was the most intense um can you please and... title this podcast episode keto <laughs> i'm serious so um i did a lot of blood work not in, in high school but the next time i did it um that was interesting to see i was i was eating maybe four thousand calories on keto and it was probably i want to say 350 grams of fat or so but you know with just it was drinking like <laughs> Olive oil, oh, that I love was okay. disgusting. Yes, I would, peanut butter I would have so like old. chasers. Yeah, so I would it have peanut butter everything in your mouth, and then too. I would, yeah, yeah, which is just like when you're that full, just disgusting. Um, but yeah, I would take a quarter cup of peanut butter and then I'd swallow some olive oil with it. You know, ten eggs for breakfast. It was it was easily my least pleasant bulking experience. Yeah, it was not good. <laughs> Did you gain a lot of muscle or? So here's the thing. This was back in like, the first time I did it, 2008, I want to say. So this was when there was some logic. It, it is interesting over the years to have found that like some of my suspicions were right. Because back then, people would talk about like people were still doing like anabolic diet. And they were saying by having low carb, you could gain more. Like you'd have a more lean bulk, right? And by keto, it's like, oh, you're gaining like just all muscle. And I was like. I feel like I'm gaining more fat this way. By eating, eating a lot of fat? fat? That's strange, right? Yeah, which were like what they were telling me as a 16-year-old kid, I was like, I should be gaining less fat. But then I was like, well, no, because my proportion, like with how much I'm gaining, even if I'm gaining slower, 
the proportion is a higher amount of fat. I got like oil on my face and shit. Like, it was just not good. Um, so after doing it for a while, like this is clearly, you know, cause I thought I was like carb sensitive back then cause I grew up fat and, and all that stuff. Um, it was an experience for sure, but, but not the most pleasant one, not one that I would recommend for people trying to gain anything. <laughs> Did you get fiber? Were you consuming enough fiber or like, how was um, getting yeah. to the toilet wasn't fun? Um, honestly, I didn't really have an issue with that. Ah. That, that was fine. Um, just a slip and slide. I was thinking, sorry. Actually, maybe, <laughs> yeah, no, maybe, <laughs> maybe tied for worst was when I, um, again, just, I actually did an elimination diet, which by the way that I structured it was a carnivore diet inherently, um, about a year ago. So trying to eat 3,500 calories a day of just meat and oil Oh my God. I don't know how, I forget the guy who, who was pretty big on it. Um, that doctor who, I forget his name. He was on Joe Rogan. Yeah. I've had him, I, I'm embarrassed. I forgot that cause I've had him on my podcast, but he, he talks about how he has like seven pounds of meat a day or something. I don't know. It was, it was not enjoyable at the least. At least with keto, I could eat nuts and a, like something different. She carnivore. I just, I don't know, but it was just kind of an experiment. <laughs> how did you feel? Um, so I actually, I, I have some significant GI issues, which makes all of this so much more fun. Um, so that's why I started the elimination diet, but I'm stubborn. So even though I was doing elimination diet, I didn't want to lose a lot of weight. So that's why, even though it was elimination, I was still starting at like 3000. Um, and to be honest, I actually did feel better because I was probably eating so much carbs before. And like I said, I do have some like actual issues there. Um, so I, I did feel better from a GI standpoint, actually, but I just, just, I just felt sick. Like aside from that, like not like I didn't have like the same, like I didn't have, I wasn't, didn't have any gas or anything like that, but I just felt like I can't eat anymore. Like I was like trying to find like the most palatable steak. So it was actually pretty expensive because I was buying like really expensive steaks to just get it down. Um, yeah, it, it was just a weird, it wasn't as bad as people might think in terms of like performance. My performance is actually completely normal. I'm not one who's noticed when I did keto, performance stayed the same. Uh, when I did carnivore, performance stayed the same. When I had high carb, I don't personally notice these like dramatic differences like some people do. Um, but it was interesting. The blood work was very interesting. LDL was like 250. Uh, total cholesterol was probably like 350. Um, Healthy as an ox, I tell you. <laughs> right. Where your doctor's right. like, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even like consult him. I just, I thankfully just have a doctor that core. just... Uh, pretty much. Yeah. He, he just writes me whatever I want and then I just go get it tested. Um, so it was, it was interesting though. And then triglycerides, not surprisingly, were very low as would kind of be expected on that kind of diet. Um, and I will say that over time, my cholesterol did get better with the same diet. I think there was that initial, you know, shoot up. And then, um, and actually I, when I did ketos is maybe interesting for people. I did a like, traditional kind of bullshit keto burgers wings you know whatever like the traditionally unhealthy keto would be right and then and i did blood work and then i did another eight weeks of um again traditionally healthy so all of my fat came from avocado olive oil everything my cholesterol improved significantly to the point that like it was, it was actually pretty damn good my ld my my hdl was like 90 um so that's you know, like immortality that was, level hdl yeah um but was that because I switched to healthier fats or was that because I was on the diet longer at a same, like similar fat level and it improved? My, my guess is both. 
probably contributed. Yeah. So. Man, that is... Dude, forget Steve and I. That shit is fascinating <laughs> as fuck. I gotta say, Dave, I, I got a ton of respect for your follow-through, man. Like, I've tried... I've done some very similar things to you back in the day. Mm-hmm. Like, I've done keto for an inordinate amount of time. Like, uh, a year. Like, uh, and that's before I know anyone knew who I was, before, so literally before social media. Um, so when I like criticize the keto diet, people are like, you got to try it. You were never adapted. I'm right. like, get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And, and there's like another thing I, I, I got to say is people sometimes see these wacky diets like carnivore, keto is less wacky, but carnivore, carnivore is about as wacky as it gets, right? Like only mm-hmm. ground beef. And you're like, okay. Right. Um, <laughs> Your body is incredibly adaptable, and beef is very nutritious. So, but you know, in the short term, months, and in a little longer, even, it's just fine for your health. You're not going to die, um, and especially if you take a multivitamin, and you're really just kind of pretty sorted, other than fiber, you know. But the the real big question about these diets, or the retort to them, isn't like we know, oh my god, that's a stupid diet, carnivore, you're going to die. It's you know. What is exactly the benefit that we're getting from restricting all of these food groups? Because, it, 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 you know, the argument doesn't have to be, well, that, that's really bad for you. You know, uh, the argument has to be, like, how is that good for you? And then the list of how it's good for you is they're like, well, like, some people are sensitive to some plant foods. And you're like, okay, true. It's like elimination diet. They're like, yeah. I'm like, what else? Like, well, you know, that's it. They're like, all right, well, <laughs> why not just do a regular elimination diet? And they're like, well, it's basically what it is. You're like, okay, sweet. But, they're like, it's a lifestyle. Like, why the fuck would it be a lifestyle? Here's the thing. If you want to look like that, <laughs> yeah. if you, like, just boost your fiber intake and make sure to get blood work, I think you can do mostly carnivore for the rest of your life. But, like, why? Like, yeah. someone's like, hey, you want to go out for ice cream? And you're like, nope, carnivore. But, like, do you want to go out for ground beef? And they're like, yeah, 100%. You know me, baby. <laughs> um, but, like, yeah. you know, like, that's the thing. It's, it's not the why not that's the real big question. It's the why. People swear by keto. And they're like, why keto? And they're like, because it's great. And they're like, what about carbs? They're like, well, they're bad. Like, no, they're not. They're just fine too. Same with veganism. Yeah. People always swear by, well, veganism is the best thing ever. And, and they wait for you to retort with, it sucks. And, and usually they retort like, it's great. And they're like, okay, why don't you do it? Like, because there's other great stuff to do. There's tons of yeah. ways to eat that are great. And I can think a lot of people just, just want a monolith, right? They want like, this is the diet. The and everything else yeah. sucks. But the answer really is just a lot of stuff if you eat fundamentally healthy, it fits right in. It's funny, I didn't know you had done that much with keto, and it, whenever I talk to people who are experienced with this, especially in the evidence-based community, I always feel there's this like internal pull where the second I say I've done like keto or carnivore, I have to immediately follow up with saying, like, but don't worry. I'm not <laughs> I, crazy. I believe in it. No, it was bad. <laughs> there was a reason I did it. I, I got blood work, like, you know, just to justify the fact that I did this, quote, fad diet. For sure. For yeah. Sure. I also um, did paleo and did keto. I did the warrior diet. So that was like, keto, oh, like yeah. paleo, keto through the week. And then on the weekends, it was like, all the carbs you want. You're kidding. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what I the warrior, at least I think the it was the warrior, warrior diet. I thought diet. was the guy, he was some foreign guy. I thought it was like the one big meal at the end of the day. His, his maybe it was like, an iteration oh. of, I thought, yeah, I, I thought yeah, I was maybe. following the warrior diet. Dude, maybe just, I made up my own warrior diet. <laughs> <laughs> You're the man, Steve. I will <laughs> say like, as far as nomenclature, like following the revive stronger principles, lame. The RP diet, what the fuck is that even? It doesn't make any sense. The warrior diet, you know what I'm saying? You get a fucking <laughs> Rambo knife crawl through the mud. That sounds fucking baller as fuck. 
<laughs> you tell someone like you're sitting on a plane next to someone, they're like, oh, what kind of diet are you doing? Because, uh, you know, you don't eat half the food they give you on the plane. You're like, <clears throat> fucking warrior diet. And they're like, can I get your autograph? <laughs> Are there blowjobs right. allowed on this plane? Can I give you one right now? <laughs> like it makes it. It's, it's, what a great nomad, Steve. We're doing Dave. We're doing this all wrong. We got to rename all of our shit. Warrior time. Come on. That's awesome. Um, so switching gears a little bit back to training. Um, so then I, 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 I feel like I have my thoughts on it, but obviously want to hear yours as well. For um, specialization phases, I, I think a lot of people would say that as you get more and more advanced. You really have to focus on specific muscle groups because it's, it's going to be harder to provide a stimulus for growth for all of your muscles at the same time. Um, and typically, the way I see that done is you ramp up volume for a muscle group or two, and everything else goes to kind of like a maintenance level while that is, you know, while you're increasing the volume there. Have you ever done it where the muscles that you're not specializing, you actually keep volume similar, but you use significantly less taxing exercises for that muscle group. If that makes sense. Steve? I, I haven't actually done much specialization yet. Um, I'm coming into my 10th year of training, probably is where I need to start incorporating it more. My last couple of masses, I put <clears throat> certain muscle groups on minimum effective volume and then put the rest of them through the volume landmarks. Um, and I probably did, and I have subconsciously done what you suggested there in terms of like picking movements that are maybe less fatiguing or, um, in that case, or they maybe provide a side benefit to a muscle group that I want to grow. Um, but I haven't, no, I haven't specifically planned out a mesocycle like that. So even my clients, not many of them are in a position where they have to specialize unless they're like bikini or they're like men's physique. And it's like, okay, let's just put legs on maintenance or something. Cause they're covered in board shorts or bikini. They don't need like massive quads or they don't need like a massive chest, maybe some upper chest, but it's mainly delts and back. So yeah, my experience with that specifically, like you mentioned, I haven't kind of thought about it that way, but I probably, when I have gone through exercise selection, picking less fatiguing movements in that way, I think makes some sense. Okay. I think that's a pretty good way to do it. Um, the one thing that maybe could be done a little bit differently is if you choose really disruptive movements, they like squatting or deadlifting, right? They tend to be really stimulative and really fatiguing more so. So if you stay away from the movements that are the most fatiguing, a lot of times you're staying away from the most stimulative movements also. So what you end up doing is uh, you're doing a lot of sets of a movement that's not very effective, so you have to do even more sets of it than usual. Or if you keep your sets normal and let the less effective it put you to maintenance volume, essentially, you're spending a lot of time doing sets that you could just do much fewer. So I actually like to keep the exercises relatively similar or sometimes even more fatiguing when that's on maintenance. Not more fatiguing by itself, but also more stimulative. Mm -hmm. So if I put my legs on maintenance, I do six sets of squats per week, and I don't have to do anything else for quads. But if I put my legs on maintenance by making the exercises easier, like more leg extensions and lunges, I end up needing you know two or three leg sessions, eight sets each on leg extensions and lunges, and it's like, oh, like, fuck, why the fuck? You get the sense after being in the gym for an hour and a half doing leg extensions and lunges, you're like, why don't I just do three sets of squats and get the fuck out of here? So I think from an effect standpoint is very effective, 
from an efficiency standpoint of saving time in the gym, which can be psychologically real beneficial, right? Like um, you might actually want to do the more fatiguing exercises like barbell press, barbell row, stiff-legged deadlift, squat, those kinds of exercises, upright row for shoulders. You just throw a couple sets of them to whatever muscle group you want, and all of a sudden you don't have any... Well, you have the same fatigue because you're doing fewer of them that you would for easier training exercises. Same stimulus, but you do it in fewer sets. And a lot of times because the exercises that are the most fatiguing and disruptive are so compound that you can hit multiple muscle groups with them at the same time. So for example, if you are training your, putting your quads and glutes on the back burner, you could train, you know, um, a very low fatiguing exercise for glutes is like a machine hip extension, right? Like a machine hip thrust and a low exercise, low fatiguing exercise for the quads is a leg extension. You got to do two fucking exercises, which is cool, but take some time with squats or with lunges. You get both at the same time. So why don't just do either squats or lunges and you'll just be out of the gym quicker. It's like, how long does a CrossFit workout take versus isolation-only bodybuilding workout for all the same muscles? I mean, holy fuck, you'll be in the gym forever trying to replicate that. So I think there's something to be said for choosing the less fatiguing exercises, but if efficiency is your concern, then maybe choosing the ones that are really disruptive is good because it keeps you in the gym less. In addition to that, from what I mentioned about the psychology, you know, if you are really prioritizing, say, chest and back, you want maybe four chest and back workouts per week, you're going to want to make the other workouts either very short or not at all. So having the very disruptive exercises means that you might squeeze them into other days. Like on the days you do arms, you might be able to do some squats. And on the you know uh, days you do shoulders, you might be able to do some uh, posterior chain, stiff like a deadlift or something, just two or three sets each time. And that's it. Like now you're in the gym five days a week versus eight with double sessions but you're getting just as much stimulus and not nearly as much psychological fatigue from having to show up to the fucking gym all the time. Um, right. That's my thoughts on it. You might have just answered it there. I mean, the, the example you gave there was chest and back, and something I was going to say is um, if you think it makes more sense to do, if, if somebody's trying to specialize, let's say, two muscle groups at the same time, I could see the benefit of having antagonistic muscle groups like chest and back. Um, it, but the other side of that I could see is if you're doing a ton of volume for back and a ton of volume for chest, depending on the movement choice, you might now also be getting a ton of volume for biceps and a ton of volume for chest and triceps again, or sh sh shoulders and triceps, depending on how you're doing it. Um, would you generally stick with antagonistic muscles or would you say, hey, because I'm already going to do so much pressing, I'm going to focus on chest and shoulders and that's going to be it for this mesocycle or these several mesocycles? Or is that going to lead to just too much fatigue from pressing in general as an example? I don't know. I'd like to hear what Steve has to say about it. Me personally, I, I, I honestly have um, mostly just constructed my specialization phases and those for clients with what muscles do we need to specialize and what muscles do we need to back burner? And then I just construct it like that. Mm. Um, if you do lots of flies, lots of wide grip pressing, um, and some dumbbell work at the end for presses, you can get a fuck ton of chest volume with very little tricep stimulus. And if you yeah. really want to take your triceps off the back burner, you just do no isolations. Like you can do tons of back work and your biceps barely get hit because you did no curls. You know, I used to actually not train my biceps ever uh, for years because I thought that the back work would take care of them enough and it never fucking did. Yeah. <laughs> and when I started doing biceps by themselves, I mean, of course my biceps grew, but like my biceps right. grew way faster when I did isolations. 
So I think it's, you know, in, in just doing four or five sets of like straight arm lat pull downs before your back work, uh, all of a sudden makes, you know, the limiting factor of your lats by a huge margin and then your biceps barely get to feel anything. So I, I, I think you can rig the exercise selection enough for that not to be a big problem. Uh, Steve, what, what do you think? No, I think I agree with that. And I was going to say the, the pre-fatigue seems like a cool way to do that. Um, like you can do it for, I was thinking for bikini competitors quite a lot of the time, you can almost like pre-fatigue the glutes if they already have like decent enough like hamstrings and their quads. It's like, well, you just turn every kind of quad dominant, hamstring dominant exercise into like another glute exercise for them, which is quite a cool way to do it. Um, or like men's physique again, like overhead pressing. I've done it where like pre-fatigue the delts, the triceps, and you kind of turn an overhead press into more of a tricep and kind of a side delt exercise than like a anterior delt exercise, which isn't super important. So yeah, when I am thinking about doing a specialization phase, or at least for myself, I was picking one upper body movement uh, or one upper body uh, muscle group and then one lower body. So they were kind of completely kind of not, not interfering with one another. Gotcha. Um, so this is actually something I had, I realized I wrote down like a long time ago, and I think it was something I was going to ask you, Mike, but um, Steve, am I correct that you had put out, I think last year, like a, a neck training, uh, like ebook or something? Was that a thing? I'm not Jeff Nippard. <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> I've done nothing no. for neck training. I've never no, trained. I thought you made some like comment about it or something, No. Yeah, I know I, Jeff Nippard. That's what I think why I thought of it is that Jeff Nippard, um, he like kind of got to popularize it with like Alpha Destiny and stuff too. But you, you never did anything with that. No, I've only I've done shrugs. I don't know if they count as like neck, but yeah, that's all. Yeah. I've never bought the harness or done any kind of yeah, yeah. neck extensions and things. Okay, because Mike, I was gonna ask. I saw you make. I don't know if it was on Steve's channel or so. You just had made a comment on like you know like why the hell is everybody training neck? Like, do you want sleep apnea? And I actually did want to get your thoughts on it because um, back when I was wrestling, it, it wasn't uncommon at all to be doing neck bridges and things like that. I don't know if that's the same with jujitsu, um, but obviously, you know, it can be important. I also do think from a, you know, appearance standpoint, it, it can make a difference in, you know, that like kind of like powerful look and everything like that. I do think um, from like a martial arts standpoint, it, it has some benefits. Uh, so I don't know if your comment was more just like, jokingly or if you actually think that it could cause problems but i kind of wanted to get your thoughts on it so people who are taking special sports supplements and are very large would prefer their necks be smaller because large necks literally cause sleep apnea and that's a huge problem for people who weigh over 210 220 pounds i have you know like i've been blessed with ridiculous genetics for sleep apnea where I can weigh up to 270 and I only get a little bit of snoring if I'm on my back. And then anything south of 250, I basically don't even snore. I can be on my back and I don't snore. Um, so I don't know what the hell it is about my body, but my neck is, well, clearly not small. And yep. I don't get sleep apnea. But I don't want to play the fucking dice game on that shit. So I'm never training neck. In addition to that, if you are enhanced... And I do jujitsu as well, which is a, right. like people fuck with your neck, you use your neck in every position. Yeah. Um, it's so much volume from that that my neck grows just from that. And your neck grows from doing shrugs and everything else and moving around. You tense your neck a ton during rows and, and upright rows and all this other stuff, overhead presses. So I think that if someone is in a position where they're 
at a body weight where they are sleeping just fine. They have no apnea risk for another 20 or 30 pounds. They don't plan on getting another 20 or 30 pounds bigger, but they have a fucking pencil neck and they just want a bigger fucking neck. I think neck training is fucking sweet. It's per- perfectly logical. And I, I would just go straight to the source and go to Jeff Nippert's channel and uh, look at his playlists and watch all the videos and read all the materials he's put out about neck training because that's like he's the resource on that. And he's got all kinds of really clever ways to train neck that nobody's literally ever thought of before. Um, but, you know, for me and my purpose and for most of the folks I associate with in the gym, which are other gigantic people, neck training sounds funny because we all already have big necks. We're like, fuck, if I could train and get my neck smaller, that would be super fucking sweet. Right. Uh, in addition to that, like really, like the head, the head size is what determines it most. But if your neck is big enough, it can actually make your shoulders look narrower. Uh, if your neck is smaller, your shoulders look bigger. Um, the head size really does determine that most. That's like one of those secrets of bodybuilding: is like the smaller your head is, the bigger you look in pictures. Um, yeah. It doesn't really matter though when you're on a stage standing next to someone; all that shit flies out the window because they can see both of your bodies. But some bodybuilders <laughs> like look incredible by themselves. It's like, oh god, Mr. Olympia, how come he took second? And you're like, look, and like, oh, it's right. He just has a really small head. His body's huge, but that other guy's body's bigger. He just doesn't look as cool in pictures. So the neck thing, I'm not sure exactly how that plays into that, but like you can have such a big neck that the rest of you looks a little smaller. That's definitely possible. And you see that with some yeah. wrestlers; their arms kind of look skinny, but they're not. But their necks like. It's like a pit bull's neck, and you're like, oh, fuck, like, that just looks strange. Um, but it is, I will say, a big fucking meaty neck and traps is is a very clear don't fuck with me muscle. Um, yeah. Like, the great way to not get into fights, I don't know if this works in Europe because people don't really wrestle much in Europe, but in the United States, if you have cauliflower ear and a big oh, neck, yeah. people just don't oh. fuck with you because they're like, hey, yeah, fuck that. People who know. <laughs> people who don't fuck yeah. with you and end up paying a really big price for that shit. So yeah. I certainly yeah. would never, you know, you get a new guy to come to jiu-jitsu and you can tell he's an ex-wrestler automatically. He's got fucked up ears and thick fucking neck. And I'm like, fuck this guy. I don't want to roll with this guy. And right, it's always right. a pain in the ass <laughs> even though it's his first day. So big neck, it's like the Tom Hardy look from like, uh, yeah. what's that movie? Warrior or whatever? Uh, um, yeah, I right. love that movie. I'm a surprised that that movie hasn't. Movie. I'm surprised it hasn't blown up actually because MMA is so popular now. I don't. Every time I mention that movie, nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about. It's a great movie, but like his it physique, is. like big neck, big traps, and like a mean guy, and you're like, "Ooh, that's scary as fuck." Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's probably only like 180, maybe in that movie, but he's just got sure. all the right muscles for it. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I, I asked this because I I did see Jeff Nipper talking about it. I made a few videos on my own because I did embarrassingly buy a neck harness just to kind of test it out. And honestly, I mean, I have a, like, from the side, I kind of have a big head, but, like, forward, I kind of have a smaller head. And my neck was, I think, 15 and a half inches, so definitely not a big neck. And after a year, year and a half of it, it got up to, like, 16 and a half, 16 and three quarters. That's, like, not this giant difference, but, hey, after lifting for 12 years and, like, nothing really having that much measurable growth anymore to gain, you know, an inch and a half anywhere (laughs) is cool. So... Um, it, you know, it, and it did make a difference, but not like a giant difference. Um, so I just kind of wanted to ask about it just because of the comments on it. Mm-hmm. I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're coming to about three o'clock now. Um, I, I got caught up in the Greg Doucette comments that I forgot to mention at the beginning here. Um, I've had both of you guys on individually. And so that's kind of part of why I wanted to have you on together is I, I see you guys associated together a lot. Obviously, uh, Steve, you're always asking Mike the question. So I kind of wanted to ask both of you the questions. Um, but keeping with my individual podcast, I do like to donate to a charity for every podcast I do. Um, when I've had you guys on individually, you had both said you didn't have anyone in mind. And so I kept it to Operation Smile, which helps children with cleft lip and palate surgeries. 
for me personally, I'm very happy to continue to go towards your charity. I'm always uh, like careful about where, I don't know, you hear things about charities, you can't always be sure, sure that they're always going to the right place. So I trust that yeah, you select a good charity and um, yeah, I'm happy for it to continue to go there. Yeah. Um, I think for sure, uh, you know, I'd be honored to, to, for you. Thank you so much, by the way, for contributing to Operation Smile. I think that's great. Um, I have one other charity in mind that uh, I would like to uh, see if you could contribute to instead of sure. that, from my end. It's a charity that is collecting money to attack the United Kingdom and to finally end generations of oppression. Folks, the UK has to go. I mean, look, these people are they're barely people. So you're working for Trump it. now. <laughs> yeah, who knows, right? Well, Trump and Boris Johnson are friends or whatever, so maybe. <laughs> I think last time it was a uh, a giant octopus that you had suggested that just kind of surrounded the world. So <laughs> I don't know if that project ever came through. If my donation made a difference there. But... Oh, it made a big difference. You, you bought a screw <laughs> in the octopus that screws in one of the laser cannons. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Aren't octopus like crazy? They can be like kilos and kilos, and they can fit through like the smallest holes ever. Mm. I just, I think I randomly heard that on a TV show, and I didn't know if it was if you could be my fact <laughs> I think, checker. I think that's definitely true because I've seen videos of them doing weird shit like that. And also, they're like way too smart for how they look. Like they yeah. get out of fish tanks and stuff, and like walk around. You're like, what the fuck? Um, they're creepy, but at the same time, fascinating. Them. No, you no, you really don't. <laughs> Nobody really does. You don't know what you're getting yourself into. All right. Well, fantastic way to wrap this up. Thank you guys both for coming on. This was great. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much.